0: Hello! Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldsberg, and today's guest is a gem. Her name is Natalie Kuhn. She is a teacher of the class, quote-unquote, the class, a spiritual fitness adventure that we discuss in detail. And in this podcast, we dive a little bit deeper into the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, what we can do individually and collectively to assuage our fears, how we can take a little bit of control back, how we can cultivate our power, give ourselves a solid ground to stand upon moving forward. And in the present moment, it's a really good discussion. It's a thorough conversation over tea. And Natalie has some really profound insights and a lot of Mind candy. I just, I don't know where that phrase came from, but mind candy to consider. So throw these sweet words into your brain, let them marinate and perhaps create something new and intoxicating for you. Without further ado, Natalie Kuhn. All right. I think I've pushed the buttons. Nice. We're, uh, we're totally going to have a podcast right now.
1: Oh, I appreciate you.
0: You know, one thing I didn't ask you though is how to say your last name.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you for asking. It's (laughs) Kuhn. So it's like as if it's spelled Q U N, but it's spelled K U H N. Kuhn.
0: Okay. So, Natalie Kuhn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I figured I didn't want to just start off with a mistake straight away. You know? You nailed it. Let's First least, try. Let's at least give ourselves a chance to do this right. <sighs> Natalie Kuhn.
1: Yeah, some um, of my best friends still don't have that down, so you're ahead of the curve.
0: Honored. hmm Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so for people listening right now that are like, who the heck is Natalie Kuhn? What's yeah. her deal? How do, you, uh, how do you describe yourself?
1: What are you passionate about? Oh, I'm a double fire. <laughs> so uh, I, I grew up in LA and I am now in New York and in Brooklyn. And I think, you know, the reason why I think we're having some of the conversation we'll have today is that I'm part of a company called The Class. And The Class in its pithiest, most digestible definition is um, it's spiritual fitness and for some, that's like, oh yeah, I totally get what that is. Okay, there's some sort of spirit component and some kind of movement component. And for others, it's like, ugh, what an eye roll. So what that really means is that we're using the body through calisthenics and plyometrics to get to psychology, emotionality, to the parts of us that um, butt up against challenge. And then meet all of the parts of us that, um, limit ourselves and our way, our way in is, is using simple movement.
0: And I feel like I have, I feel like this is going to be a good conversation because I I have actually taken the class and Mm. my teacher was really outstanding. Mm. Um, It was at this wanderlust event last year and her name was Natalie Kuhn. (laughs) (laughs) i've heard of her she's she's pretty renowned she does podcasts
1: (laughs) when she behaves (laughs)
0: yeah no but it was good and and so i had you know heard uh heard the hype so to speak and yeah yeah my uh my perception was that it was this kind of fitness niche designed for high-powered business ladies uh, that is a lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being yeah. honest. We're in the trust no, tree.
1: We're in the trust uh, tree. It, believe me, this is not the first time I've heard that at all. Yeah. I mean, look, I think I think a lot of people. Um, you've either heard about it because the woman in your life does it, or um, you heard about it because you heard that there's some class out there where you scream or cry or both. <laughs> and you're one of two people you're like that's for me where do i sign up and then the other half is like ah
0: uh, that was me <laughs> yeah. i'm re- i'm fluent in that
1: um yeah uh, the the little facial grimace but i think yeah. now that um we've had a chance to really um get our sea legs sea legs you know we're 6 years into this uh we're seeing a huge Uptick in men's involvement, and I think that is directly correlated to the fact that um, post Me Too movement, we're seeing men create conscious men's circles. We're seeing men's mm. retreats. We're seeing a, a different kind of evolution there. So that's that's happening at the class, and I also think that with the advent of our digital studio, it's not—it's no longer for the Tribeca woman,
2: or what what does that mean?
1: Meaning I think where, where we started our business back in 2013 was this sort of downtown high performance woman who wanted to like get that therapeutic aspect and that physical workout all in really quickly. And that was our, you know, Demographic at the at the time, and now that we've expanded to other parts of New York, we've expanded to l a and Vancouver, and now we're online it's opened up the demographic to include people of all kinds mm. but I can understand why there was that initial impression
0: it, it was because everybody that I had talked to about it was saying, "Yeah, it's yeah. like a workout where you cry and I was like okay, like that's, that's different. I'll give you that. Interesting. Um, But from my experience, like the workout was legit. It's not like uh, you do some jumping jacks. It's like you walk away feeling like you got your ass kicked physically. And I feel like, and this is my interpretation. So please, I'd love to hear your Mm -hmm. take on it. But my take is the physicality is designed to push you right to your edge. And then you confront the voices in your head to push just a little bit past your edge, and then magic happens because you transform, you shift your identity, you realize that you're stronger, more powerful, more capable, and perhaps you're also releasing a few things that you didn 't even know were hidden
1: ding ding the ding yeah I have nothing to edit about that i think okay. I think that's exactly right, and that's that's really what we're hoping for that you are. I mean, the, and to, to go to the point about the physicality, something that we're really consistent with in all of our teaching is that you're pushing up against your athletic edge. Mm. So you may be able to do four minutes of burpees, or a burpee is completely beyond the realm of your capacity. And so what you're doing is standing in mountain pose with your hand on your heart and your hand on your belly. And that's your physical limit. And that's absolutely fine you know, we've had, I have this very, very dear friend and regular of the class who was the 170th person ever in the world to have a full ankle replacement. So what did he do? He sat down in a chair in the back of the room and he just did the upper body. Mm. And my boyfriend, Kevin's mother is 87. And she, she quite literally like did a couple of Arm reaches and stood up and did a couple of side steps, but she was there absorbing the teaching and letting the emotion come up and letting it release, letting the thought come up and letting it move, and doing the work of understanding, you know, what are limiting beliefs, what are mine, and how do I push past them.
0: Mm. And so, I guess, I'm intrigued for your perspective as someone who has guided now thousands, tens of thousands of people through a transformative experience of sorts.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, what has it taught you? Like, what do you know to be true? Like any insights?
1: Yeah, I feel, uh, I feel there's a real through line that I see in a lot of people that um, one of the key ways we keep ourselves at a distance from ourselves is through distraction. And distraction is how we distract is unique to every person, but it falls in a couple of categories, I would say. One is fidgeting. One is just complete um, disembodiment, you know, like leaving the mind soars into to-do lists and featuring and
0: daydreaming uh,
1: daydreaming, yeah. And then um, another is really either self-flagellating or blaming. And those are the four real buckets that I witness on a daily basis in class. And now that I'm able to see it, name it, and feel it, I have tools as a teacher to pull the edges of the room back in But if a mind is really asleep and a person is really asleep, those it ultimately it's up to them to wake up ever, right? And I just have now better tools at knocking on the door.
0: And so, what are like? What's an example of of your toolkit? Um, So, so I guess maybe maybe for people who are listening that don't actually know what the class is, like you're standing Uh, at the front of it on a yoga mat with a microphone, and there's yeah. Tens or dozens of people on yoga mats yeah. as well, facing you, yeah. and yeah. there's loud music playing, and yep. you're giving like a guided workout slash yeah. motivational, yeah thing.
1: It's this. It's a very curated playlist for a very specific emotional and physical journey. So you physically you start opening up the body, warming it up, um, and then we start to ignite the heart using cardio moves. And then we get into some strength training, and all along the way, what that's bringing you deeper and deeper into is a deeper and deeper place within yourself. So let's say, for example, you're in squats, right? Maybe you, um, just coming off the street, never having taken the class before, you could probably do 10 without thinking much of it. But after I ask you to do 20, now your mind is activated. And your mind is gonna respond in the same way that it does when your boss pulls you into their office or your partner is upset or, um, you know, name any other moment of challenge in your life outside of the mat. And your mind is gonna do the exact same pattern or habit or way of thinking that it does out there. And so, my job as the teacher is to bring you into an awareness of what the mind is doing through the container that we are creating. For example, 30 squats.
0: (laughs) 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 All the squats. (laughs) Yeah. But
1: I think it's
0: it's true, and it it relates to something I'm often preaching about, which is simply do hard things, do more hard things. Yeah. Because I feel like that's where you find who you truly are, is when you are walking up the big mountain, or when you're doing squats or when you're having that hard conversation or when you're dealing with a global pandemic and Mm -hmm. suddenly you're, you're having to confront the voices in your head that are defining who you are and you get to have that kind of confrontation or that conversation. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Is that how you see it?
1: Yeah. And I think what's happening in the class is that, um, you know, it's, Voluntary. You paid $35. You showed up on your mat. And everything I'm doing from the teaching side of things and on the mic is inviting you into that space of inquiry Mm -hmm. and difficulty. What's tricky about the global pandemic is that it's thrust upon us And totally involuntary. You did not pay thirty five dollars. In fact, you're hemorrhaging money. (laughs)
0: I paid a lot more than thirty five dollars for this pandemic. Yeah,
1: totally. (laughs) I mean, we are all hemorrhaging um, in in many ways and in many aspects. And Mm. you know, um, this. So I'm I'm like a disciple. Uh, or, or devotee to this writer who has no idea that I exist. His name is David White and I call him my teacher and he doesn't know that I live on the planet. But um, one of his books is called The Three Marriages and he believes that the three marriages are the one with work, the one with self, and the one with partner. And th- usually we're at odds with one, possibly two. And if you're really in some sort of an emotional crisis, you're at odds with all three. And I think that's really what this global moment, this, this coronavirus has brought forward is that all three are upended for everybody. There's no business that is surviving this other than maybe groceries. And everybody is now working from home and that's causing family disturbance. And when your work and your family life are disturbed, and you add in personal fear around your own personal health, now you're affecting relationship to self. So I think it, I don't blame a single person out there for having anxiety or disruption or fear in this moment because what ground do you have to stand on if you're not creating it? I think we all have come to um, believe in the illusion of control and believe in the illusion of certainty. And it's easy to, and I, me, Natalie Kuhn, human, not, you know, class teacher or whatever, um, am highly attached to regularity and structure and schedule. And for that matter work. And then when that's disrupted, it's, it, it is found, foundationally um, quaking. And I find my own ribs shaking. Even though I have the tools to see it from 50,000 feet above, being, you know being in that consciousness awareness level of being on the airplane, looking down at the earth shaking. But that doesn't mean that I still don't shake. So I, I'm, I'm with you and I'm with everybody um, as we, so how do we find ground again? And um, for me, I think it really is hour to hour. I have no ability to conceive of certainty in the future because I have access to NewYorkTimes.com. <laughs> I mean, like, because if I go outside, my restaurants are closed. Because I do need to stockpile because my, my bodega is probably going to close. So all I actually have is the conversation I'm having with you right now. And an hour from now, I'll make dinner with my boyfriend. And that's as far as it goes.
0: And that's really all we have. Always.
1: Ever. Ever.
0: Mm.
1: This has always been true. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's just a rude spotlight. Mm -hmm. It's a hurtful, rude spotlight. Mm. And, you know, I also want to point out that I also totally recognize my privilege, that I'm so lucky that the worst of my problems is, um, you know, which of my boxed mac and cheese I'll choose tonight rather than my waitressing job just let me go for the foreseeable future. Mm. Or, you know, I, I do have legitimate fears. My dad is a pulmonologist in the critical care unit and he leads the ICU. So, you know, but what am I going to do? Spend my entire day worried that the hazmat suit is going to, you know, like there aren't going to be enough hazmat suits for him. Uh, all I can do is call him and make sure he's okay today.
2: Mm.
1: So, right. But that's, but that's always been true did he wake up today? Did I wake up today? That's always ever been true. We just haven't been so rudely up close to it.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I, I wrote this Instagram post the other day where I sort of detailed exactly that, where I kind of had this epiphany a week ago where I realized that I wanted it to go back to before the pandemic arrived when I had, quote unquote, control, right? Yeah. And I realized that I never really had control. Like I have no yeah. idea what's going to happen in the future or when I'm going to die and what my wedding will be like and when everybody yeah. that I love is going to get sick next. or
2: Yeah.
0: And what I realized was that that previous version of life was an illusion of control. And I feel like this experience globally is now shattering that illusion for a lot of us. Um, And that's very confronting.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I also think back to, uh, you know, what. so what you're saying is like, I'm looking back even just a couple of weeks, right. Where, Mm -hmm. where we all believed we had control. I'm thinking back to December 31st, um, 2019 where we were like fuck you 2019 2020 is gonna fucking rock and now we're like please god if only i could go back to Mm 2020."
0: yeah i saw this meme yesterday that said that 2020 is being managed by the same people that that launched the fire festival (laughs) (laughs) have you ever seen that documentary (laughs) on netflix it's just like fuck really We were were so looking forward to this,
1: and it's just so funny. You never know; you just never know. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it makes me think. There, I was listening to. Was I listening to this or did I read this? I'm not sure, but. Michael Singer has this practice where he was like. So if we know that we can't go back to a time where we thought we were good, but we still poo-pooed it. And we can't ensure that anything in the future is going to be better than it is now. What is the actual practice of shifting our mindset and how do you do it? And he was like, just practice with the weather. (laughs) So if it's raining, enjoy the rain. Mm -hmm. If you knew that, you know, you were going to die in six hours, you wouldn't walk out into the rain and be like, fuck the rain. I should have brought an umbrella. This is horrible. You'd be like, "Ah, oh, rain," <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And um, so, I I that's really stuck with me through this because we don't have control over the weather, and we don't have control over this. And all we can really do is accept the rain for the rain as it is, and all we can do is accept that. Well, my restaurant's closed, but my bodega's open. And even beyond that, like, I'm grateful that it's raining. I'm grateful that I have a job right now. I'm one of the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't always work. Look, I was like brought to my knees yesterday, uh, sobbing about a story that I heard in South Korea, where they took a family's temperature and the mother was taken away and the kid was left in the car with the dad. Like, you know what I mean? It. It's not to say that i um, kumbaya and we'll get through this. It's more to say right now in this hour I'm choosing to actively put my attention on the fact that right now is like this.
0: Mhm. You know, I think it it's an important point to highlight that it's not all just chin up, good vibes, avoid fear, you know, positive, positive, happy bliss, rainbow farts because that's just <laughs> bypassing like that's not healing that's that's spiritual bypassing that's hypocritical and it's not healthy really and I think one of the healthiest things that we can do right now is to recognize when we are feeling things like yeah I'm freaking out right now in this moment I'm terrified I'm anxious I'm losing my shit like okay so you are and that'll pass
1: and like it's okay it's okay to feel that way and I think to, to further that, I would say um, there's a difference between merging with that emotion and then acting from the emotion and feeling the emotion, but having an awareness of the fact that you're feeling it.
0: Okay, so um, you, can you unpack that?
1: Yeah, like, um, to better say it, um, well, how do you know that you're afraid? You know that you're afraid because you're the one experiencing fear. Meaning, you are watching your heart experience fear. And so you can either merge with the fear and become fully enveloped by the fear, and that there is no separation between you and it. And that's where we go into neuroses and we go into obsession and we go into paranoia. And then there's the alternative path, which is noticing wow, the feeling that I'm experiencing in my own body is that of fear. And that's the song that my heart is playing. In order to move through it, I have to let my heart play that that song. I have to let my heart palpitate in that way. I'm on top listening to the song. I'm not the song.
2: That's good shit. <laughs> I like that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I really think it's the only way to
2: move through it. Mm. I think,
1: you that, know, or else it's stuck, right?
0: Yeah. And one way to, to catch yourself or to catch myself when I'm in these places is, is separating the language of I am scared versus I am feeling scared. Or even like uh, Brene Brown stuff or psychologists suggest a story that I'm telling myself is that I am feeling scared. And yeah, I love. Sort of that. separating the the individuality of who you are versus a passing storm called fear that's arriving in you at this moment. Yeah. You know? Like, and the I'm, only I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm sick. It's like, no, you're just experiencing these things. You're more than that. Yeah. And I think that's an important caveat to recognize and remember particularly in trying times like this
1: it's so important to frame it like that because the way that you just said it dissipates some of its power mm-hmm. over you you know
0: yeah you take the power back yeah like now that's my power
1: what do you yeah. doing now? <laughs> <laughs> a right. thousand percent and you know something we've been talking about internally at the class is that truly living in a state of fear is living as if the future has already come, living Mm -hmm. a future state that may or may not happen. And it's actually much easier to just deal with it as it is. Right now, I am not sick. So why would I put all of my energy and attention toward some possibility of me becoming sick? If I were to be sick, then I would have something to action about. So yeah. I can action preventative measures. I can action preventative measures. I can't action a sickness that I don't currently have.
0: Heavy. And profound. And d- yeah, I was going to go down the rabbit hole of what you will do is create that sickness in you so that you can then deal with it. But that's the whole slippery slope into psychosomatic yeah. Yeah. But, but so, yeah, overall, it sounds like you're suggesting to recognize what you can control and do your best in a most powerful, most loving way to deal with those things and recognize the things that you cannot control and do your best in the most loving way to release that, to surrender that, to direct your attention and awareness elsewhere. And so what would you say to somebody listening that's like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, I just worry all the time. It's not that easy. Uh, You don't, you don't get it. I can't just shut my brain off.
1: Yeah. I think, um, and, and, um, and I am you and I am her and I am him, you know, so I really do understand that, especially these days. And I think the one thing that the class has, taught me both as a student and as a teacher is that when we find ourselves in a constant stream of anything thought emotion whatever it is the only way to interrupt it is to interrupt it so what we do in the class is we use sound and we use explosive sound and that sound is a vibration that cuts through whatever frequency you're in obviously everyone's answer is meditation, and there's really good reason for that but um I would say anything that gets you cutting through and piercing through the monotony, so for some people that's making it physical, going on a run, doing something like the class da 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 for some it's getting still it's meditation, it's breath work, and then for others it's um Writing it down because, in the act of writing what the dialogue is between you and that voice, you actually are physically and visually creating distance between you and the stream. Mm. That's really helped me. I think my uh, prefrontal cortex is quite the active one, and I also am pretty verbose and I love words and writing. So, for me, when I get overactive, in my thinking, writing freehand in a dialogue is really helpful. So I write what the stream of consciousness is, and then I add its opposite. So, you know, the world is going to end, da 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 Maybe you want to add in some um, Byron Katie there, and you want to ask yourself, is that really true? Or it's just simply bringing in the adults, or bringing in your parents, or bringing in your guardian or your angel or whatever voice is the opposite and positive version of what that dialogue is.
0: Mm. I love that. One trick that I've used in the past when I teach workshops or work with clients is to have them journal in the third person rather than the first person. Cool. Yeah. So what that means is rather than saying I, my, me, you would say her, she, his, him. I love that. Yeah. And so what this does, it's very subtle and it's very simple, but it actually separates your personal experience from the situation. And so then when yeah. you read it back, you're reading, she thinks the world is going to end. She is terrified of whatever. And it so kinda, good. Yeah. And it, it gives you a bit of distance to then look at your thoughts more objectively. Yes. If that makes sense.
1: I love that.
0: Yeah, you I'm can use steal it. that. Yeah, thank steal you. It. Yeah. yeah, when
1: we go through the eventual national shutdown, I'm going to remember that.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it's so interesting. Because then you read a story about someone else who is her or she. Right. And you're looking at it and being like, oh, like that's. That's weird. Why does she think that? Or if I was her, I would think this. And
1: yeah, it's, it's like a, that old adage. It's it's really a good tool for the old adage of like, would you say that to your best friend? Yeah. But you're but you're actually creating that dialogue mm. for yourself. That's really helpful.
0: Yeah, and and I I love writing, obviously, and suggest it to every client I work with. Just the process of getting things out of your brain, out of your yeah. head, and it helps to clarify things as well. Clarifies exactly what you're experiencing it clarifies what you fear, yeah um, yeah
1: so- I think I have a tendency that when I go into my deep, dark hole i i I turtle i you know mm. just like my little head and my little arms and feet just go faint, and I definitely you know for all of my extroverted fiery Aries leo nature in times of stress it's, um, compounded and compacted and impacted. And I think that's why the class has been so helpful to me is because Mm. it's movement, it's sound, it's expression, it's loud music and everything is, um, taking the internal sensation and letting it out and through and sweat Mm. and, you know, shaking practices and, uh, jumping Jacksons and, and community,
0: so I would, that I don't I, feel so. Whew. Yeah, I was just gonna reinforce that it's definitely experiential. Like it's an yeah. experience. It's using all of your senses. Like you're going on kind of a ride there. And yeah. so I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit about like how you got into this. How did you become yeah. a? I don't even know what's the phrase that somebody that teaches the class? You guys
1: have um, yeah, we're teachers.
0: teachers. <laughs> teachers. Oh, teachers. Good. how clever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: it's called the class. Oh, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, all, we're all considered teachers. I met Taryn before there was a website or a name for the business. It really wasn't supposed to be a business. I met her when she was experimenting with this movement with friends in the gym of her apartment building. She had had two kids and she was feeling a lot of fire in her body that yoga wasn't um, uh, really helping her extinguish. Mm. So um, I was working at Lululemon. I was a dancer for rock bands and I was an actor at the time and I had studied a lot of uh, different movement modalities that were about tapping into the emotion found within the body as a way to create character. And um, as soon as we met, I just did a 180 on my own life and quit everything and dedicated myself to the practice and to what she was creating at that, and then what we were creating in this kids dance studio on the fifth floor of some random building on Broadway where like Barbies were falling off the wall of the changing room and it was really DIY. And it was just the two of us on the back end of things. And in terms of teaching, I said, you know, she had asked if I had considered being a movement teacher. I had just completed my certification for Zumba, little known fact. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zumba
0: being, for those that don't know what Zumba is, Zumba is?
1: Latin fitness classes, Latin dance fitness classes, and... You know, enough wine and maybe I'll show you sometime. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I quickly retired my Zumba career. <laughs> and um, I said, look, um, she, she's very intuitive and I'm very organized. So she got the intuitive hit. And I said, I'll set you up, I'll break you down, and I'll take notes on what you're doing physically and what I'm feeling emotionally. I'll teach my friends on the weekend. And when I feel like there's something there for you to see, I'll invite you. And it took about six months. She came. And um, at the same time, the other founding teacher, J.C. Gossett, was also, um, we were working together to, to see if we could teach this thing. So it was the three of us teaching, and it was Taryn and I on the back end for about two and a half years. And then um, we decided to, it was in the th- those two and a half years that really challenged us to figure out what it was that we were doing, how to articulate it and how to repeat it. It was hard enough Mm -hmm. for JC and I to learn what it was through our own bodies and our own articulation, our own expression. So then once we felt like we had our sea legs, we started to add um, some help. And now six years later, we're in three cities and we're online and we've got, I think, I think we've got something like 27 teachers and, 50 people in the company as a whole and we're we're really we're really proud of our family
0: Mm. but so at the time Mm -hmm. you were were just like you had one fitness class from your friends on a on a random day and suddenly you had this epiphany in your soul or your body that was like this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now and you quit everything
1: Mm. it was a period of time where If you're into astrology, I would say it was the beginning of my Saturn return. And if that means nothing to you, I would say it's called Pushing 30. And (laughs) I was not so happy with the lifestyle of being an actor and a dancer because I felt like I didn't want to wait for the phone to ring. My brain was far too active and my creativity was far too insistent um, for me to continue within that lifestyle so in between gigs i used to be a bartender saw too many sunrises took too many drunken bike rides home so decided to give that up and um i ended up working for lululemon and instead instead of like taking whiskey shots with your coworkers, you were doing like 10ks and i was like oh this is so much healthier wheatgrass shots yeah and um And so when she came in and we met, I was in an off-Broadway show at the Mint at the time. I was working for Lululemon, and I was also setting her up and breaking her down. So I was working three different jobs at like 14 hours a day, making probably $400 a week, you know. And I did that until I couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And over that period of eight months, I think at your exhaustion point, you really figure out, what matters same is true for the class, right? I think Duke Ellington did that with his band too. He drove them around the city until three in the morning when they were so tired and then threw them into a, a jazz recording studio, and then they played the best because it's not about the mind anymore. it's just about you know spirit. And I think mm-hmm. I was working so hard eight eight months in that I was like, "This isn't worth it, this isn't worth it, this isn't worth it. This feels." like my path so the cream rose to the top
0: <laughs> my my mom refers to that as a come to jesus moment mm-hmm. you're like okay this is what really matters this is what i really want to do yeah but it's yeah. a hard choice
1: i imagine in my experience my, my advice to everybody who's in that I mean, this is such, oh my gosh, people who know me are probably laughing that I'm saying this, but my advice is to do it all until you can't do it all. And -hmm. then you'll know which one you have to be doing. Mm -hmm.
0: Austin Kleon has this really succinct bit of advice that I read years ago that I love, which is say yes until you can afford to say no
2: yeah wow
0: so like is that when you're like yeah i'll do all these four jobs i'll work all the time no worries like oh and then eight months in you're like mm, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I can't i cannot yeah. afford to
0: do this anymore physically spiritually economically
1: i think it's a really smart way of figuring out what you want and what you believe in and what you care about because mm. i think you know to to the um Millennials, of which I am on the cusp, so I still technically am a millennial. Um, I think the um, fever we run collectively is this notion of, well, does it make me happy? I don't think that should be the question we're asking. I think we should be asking, am I learning? Am I growing? Am I evolving in ways that make me better? and happiness is a state like anything else and Mm. even the thing that I love is going to make me unhappy at some point but am I learning and am I growing am I curious and I'm pushing myself forward in a sphere that that stimulates me and inspires me I'd rather ask that question Mm. and I think there's this Am I happy? It's like, then you start to complain about whether or not you have oat milk at your WeWork and really, who gives a fuck? (laughs) You know? And we're such a privileged generation that we care Mm -hmm. about those things when we're looking for a job. And now with the global crisis, my hope is that generationally speaking, we're finally faced with something Beyond us. You know, people who lived through the Vietnam War had to figure out a new way of life. People in the Cold War had to figure out a new way of life. People in World War II created a new nation. And so now we're faced with something beyond Americans, beyond the Germans, beyond Vietnam. It's there is no human enemy. Mm
2: -hmm. For
1: the first time, since, what, Spanish flu? So we, it's no longer a conversation about if you, if you are, you know, putting in your vote for hemp milk or oat milk. It's about, are you doing your part socially, responsibly, to keep your loved ones safe?
0: Hmm. Yeah, everything has been kind of stripped right back to the essentials of the human experience, right? Like, yeah. oh, are you are you safe? Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like do you have a place yeah. to sleep? Do you have a roof? Do you have food? Um yeah. are your loved ones okay? Yeah. And and that's new for a lot of us. Yeah. It's new new in the sense of perhaps considering it in a profound and meaningful way for the first time, but also new in the sense of spending so much time and energy on these thoughts. Yeah. I can check in and I'm grateful, but I'm like, Oh, you know, like, I love my family. They're good. And it's like the end for the day.
1: And I would say it's new for those of us in privilege. Oh yeah. And
2: it's, and it's like an,
1: and it's an old, painful Mm. shadow for so much of the world, am I safe? Mm-hmm. I'm a 34-year-old white girl with a salaried job. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, things are all right.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And hopefully, once all of this dust settles, we can use this experience to unite us with compassion and understanding like, oh, this is what it's like to not be able to access toilet paper. And Mm -hmm. for many people, it's an an expense limitation, but it's still access just the same. And so for us who are are going to the store and like, oh, there's no bread. What a shithole. It's like, oh, this is what it's like to not be able to have something that you need.
1: I would take that a step further. And I would say that Um, those of us who experience some form of privilege Mm -hmm. experience fear as an internal causation. I experience fear as a psychological, am I good enough? Am I going to get ahead? Am I going to succeed? Those of us who don't have that kind of privilege experience fear on the daily externally. Am I going to get arrested by a cop Mm -hmm. who just because I'm black Am I going to have my child separated from me at the border? Am I going to, you know what I mean? These are all things that we don't even think about. They don't pass us. But for the first time, those in privilege are having an external force shed light onto external fear occupying space in our bodies. And, Wouldn't it be great if those of us who have only experienced fear as internal could widen our horizon or our radius of compassion to take in those of us who live in the oppression of external fear as a daily happening?
0: Mm. That was really well said.
1: Thanks. I mean, I'm really um, trying to see past my own straight, cisgendered, white, middle-class, lens.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it takes effort. You know, it takes a moment to actually sit and think and use your brain. Not that you don't, but you actually have to go there. And it's a little bit uncomfortable to consider privilege as a whole. I've actually been reaching out to people for this podcast to talk about Mm -hmm white privilege, all the other things, activism, indigenous issues. I'm trying to widen my perspective. I'm looking for somebody to come on here and basically tear me apart. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple
1: like, of friends who I'm sure would be happy to. <laughs> yeah,
0: please. I've, I've reached out to like 20 people and, and nobody has agreed to come on. I, maybe I'm aiming too big or the wrong direction, but I think it's such an important conversation that we all need to be having i individually i don't know how to have that conversation in a in a fluid digestible way other than to say like i don't know i'm super fucking privileged and i'm trying to read books and and watch shows about it but i would love to get some experts on here to to dissect that a bit more
1: it's always um it's, it's a little bit like what we were talking about. When you're, when you're in something, mm. how, do you, how do you pierce through it? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is um, calling upon an external. Sorry, sometimes it oh, is completely. calling upon somebody else to help you burst the bubble of your own world, of your own malaise.
0: Totally. And I feel like the other side of that is that it will enhance understanding. And I feel like yeah. that enhanced understanding is a prerequisite for compassionate, for, for compassion, for kindness, for justice, for sacrifice, for responsibility. Like, Oh shit. I actually fully understand how entitled and privileged I am because of the historical socioeconomic system that I've been thriving inside of.
1: This actually goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, not, you know, not to curtail what you're, the flow you're in, but um, that I want to bring it back to what we were saying about control, right? That um, we have up until Thursday taken aspects of our life for granted. And that could be what we're talking about now, which is straight cisgendered white middle-class privilege
0: Americans
1: Americans and then there's also um you know regularity I take for granted that there's food at my grocery and there's a subway that takes me to work and my workplace is safe and there's a paycheck every two weeks Mm. and now all of those things are up in the air Completely. And even at a perhaps more
0: simplistic way is like there's clean, fresh water pouring out of a hole in my wall. Totally. Like I we, like that meme about having so much clean water that we can literally just poop in it. Like that's how oh, yeah. abundant we are. Um, right. I, hot water. Like if you've ever gone for a while without hot water, you take a hot water shower and it's like winning the yeah. lottery. Yeah, yeah. It's a,
1: it's a, um, a time of eyes opening.
0: What's, um, like what's, what has it taught you? What have you learned so far?
1: I mean, I, I've spent so much of the last two years looking at my attachments to my identity and what brings me self-worth and what brings me ground, you know? And the things that shake those tethers come up um, every once in a while in very light fashions. And now they're being cut. These tethers are being cut. And I'm learning how um, it's not just uncomfortable. It's like an aspect of me is going through a shattering it really is a death and um i'm choosing to allow it to die because i've been wanting it to die <laughs> and now it's been thrust in my face that it must die and um and it's the aspect of me that is um feels good when i'm busy feels you know successful when i'm moving the business forward that um you know all of these things and now that um, my entire line of business, I, my, my, you know, title for lack of a, another term is the VP of programming, which means that um, basically anything that happens outside of the studio is under my jurisdiction. Well, when there is nothing in or out of the studio and everything is now digital, you know, that really is, to- you know, it just reframes what you thought you know. And so I'm using this time as a decisive moment to cut the cords with part of me that um, used it for self-worth and then reframing and re-understand or like growing from a new place of letting this be a moment of creativity and innovation and a widening of my own aperture.
0: Mm. Have you noticed any grief associated with that transformation
1: when I say I was brought to my knees yesterday I mean quite literally I was on the floor crying (laughs) and and it's not because like poor me my business has changed it's um it it is it is the deepest core part of us that so desperately clings to the idea of certainty And so, yeah, I feel grief around an old version of me. And by old, I mean 12 hours ago (laughs) and 34 years before that. That is becoming a new deer, learning how to walk and stumbling to find ground in quicksand. (laughs) And it's hard. And because I can't stand, I cry. And that's okay. Mm. And the only certain thing is that this is going to change. So it's hard and it's difficult. And when I start to pity myself, I bring my, I widen my aperture. This is hard for me, but it's much harder for others. Okay, get, get up. You know how to do this. One foot on the floor, next foot on the floor. Now press into the floor, lift your weight. And this is what we do in the class. Mm.
0: Yeah, I love that expression, widen the aperture. What does it mean to you to do that?
1: It means to
2: take in more than I'm
1: comfortable with. I'm comfortable with my blinders on. I'm comfortable with my morning routine that takes me to work, that brings me back from work, that lands me with my partner, and then we fall asleep. And if I widen my aperture, I take in a world that is possible beyond what the routine means to me. The routine is not me. And I knew that in a theoretical way. And now I'm um, embodying it because I have to, because we all do.
0: Yeah, Joe Dispenza talks about it in terms of programs. Like you're just Mm -hmm. running these subconscious programs where you wake up and you have your morning routine and you go through life and la di da di-da, but you actually don't engage your thinking brain. And that becomes the uncomfortable invitation, right? The recognition that there are other ways of doing things, the discomfort of being the baby giraffe, learning to walk in these new ways while also grieving the loss of your old self, the death of your old identity. This is yeah. what it means to do the work, I think. Like, this yeah, is, and
1: I, the, etymology, the etymology of identification is from the Latin, facare, to make, right? And then, I can't remember, what is it now? The, the original, um, e, I think it's edem? Oh yeah, edem. And the idem fakare, which eventually becomes identification, right, through the translation over the years. And it means to make one. So if I identify with my routine, I become one with my routine. Mm -hmm. If I identify with success or um, the love of my partner or um, whether or not I have wrinkles on my face or fat on my bones, then I make myself one with those things. And if those things change, then, then who am I? So,
2: is it it's dis- cool.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely cool. cool. Is yeah. it about then the disillusion of ego? Is that what this is about? And and then what what do you identify with if everything else is stripped away?
1: The only thing you have, which is the experiencer, the think, the one who is thinking the one who is feeling the one who is experiencing Mm. spirit soul the part of you that's unchanging Mm. the part of you that sits in awareness
0: and it's always there just kind of lingering watching (laughs) watching the
1: show his body is borrowed Mm. this time is borrowed
0: I heard a great podcast this morning, um Jack cornfield on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Mm. You to this one he's yeah. just like a he's like mr rogers Jack cornfield and he's good analogy the, he's just the calmest, but he he talked about a funeral or he talked about working at hospice and observing people passing away. I can't remember the details, but the gist is that. He saw somebody alive and then he saw somebody dead and he realized that the body is still right there in front of him, but the life is gone. And so then he concluded that what we are is spirit. Like however you choose to define that, it's some ethereal moreness than the body. The body's, mm-hmm. And like we like to talk in cliche and similes of how the body is just a meat suit carrying us around, but it's also radically true. And mm-hmm. I feel like, for me at least, that becomes the challenge of remembering that I'm not Jeremy. I don't host a podcast. Like, I, I do these things, but it's not who I really am, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I find when I remind myself of that and I can kind of widen the aperture, you're like, yeah. oh, Bro. You're just this like limitless <laughs> light created from a, a big bang billions of years ago cruising through the vast unknown. It's like, ah. Oh, <sighs> that makes it easier.
1: That should have been my answer to how do you define widening your aperture? Bro. Yeah. Bro. I'm just uh, a limitless light.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. That's what you mean, right? Like if you if you widen wide enough. Yeah. The aperture is limitless.
2: Yeah.
0: It's like the, um, I've heard it. My buddy Dan Harrison, I think, described it as uh, like if you're in a movie theater and you're watching a, a film of your life,
2: Yeah,
0: we perceive that we are the screen. Yeah. Like we think that's our life. But actual fact, there's the machine up the top that's actually broadcasting and creating the experience yeah. that we witness on the screen.
2: Yeah.
0: And then he and I were chatting and I was like, but... What if we're actually the light going into the machine that projects <laughs> the thing onto the screen?
1: Oh, that's so, so good! That's I would some say the, of that. you know you're the operator uh, behind the machine that's projecting mm. images. It's like you know you are not you're not the image maker. That's the that's the brain and the, and that's your where you come from and that's your past um, mm. experiences creating impressions that uh, filter your thoughts. But you're actually the one behind even the mechanism.
0: Yeah. It's so wild. Like We're the, we're the film critic and the screenwriter and, and the director and the lead actor. It's like... I know. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. You need to <laughs> fire, fire a bunch of these people and just be limitless light.
1: <laughs> uh, careful. They are all getting laid off as we speak.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Not, I, uh, not
1: really. Too soon. Too soon.
0: Uh, what have we not covered or is there anything that we need to mention before we depart? And-
1: um, I mean, I guess the, I guess the, um,
0: I guess the uh, um, where can people find you?
1: Yeah. I was just going to say the considerate thing for me to do as a member of the class would be to say that the class.com is where everything class lives. And that a lot of, after I'm done with class, I synthesize and put on Instagram. So I'm, this is Natalie. (laughs) And that's where, um, if you weren't able to live stream or take class in person, the kernels of what we did together live on my Instagram.
0: And you also now have a virtual class.
1: Yeah, and that's... That's all through the class.com too. If you go to schedule, you'll see digital studio. Working from home and everybody's in their own um, individual. This digital platform has been so exciting for us. We've, we've been doing it since October, but it's obviously of more service now than any time before.
0: Mm. Love it. Thanks for taking Sammy. the time to chat. You're, you're just fantastic. I adore you.
1: Thanks for the conversation. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. You're and, the best. Uh, well, you're the best. We're all let's the we're, Let's be co-best. Okay. But really, that was some that was a good conversation. I feel like people are gonna take away a lot of good stuff from that. Is there any sort of lasting word of wisdom or something you wanna leave them with?
1: If I were to extract some pithy statement from the last hour that I've had the privilege <laughs> of, uh, of spending with you, I would say that um, the, the the certainty of our times is that it will change. Okay. A different version of this too shall pass.
0: <laughs> and just like, just deal with it or what?
1: I find, I find solace in knowing that this is just a moment. mmm. I think when we're in a happy moment, there's um, a sense of fear that the happy moment will change. But then, of course, when we're in a difficult one, there's solace. So I am certain that this will change.
0: Well said, Natalie Kuhn.
2: Nice. Solid.
0: Nailed it. Virtual high five. (laughs) Nailed it. We came full circle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friend. Thanks so much. Thanks, um, brother. Yeah. Keep doing your thing.
1: Ati tambien. It's
0: good chat, right? I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, and I hope you did, too. I hope you take what was said and use that in your day-to-day experience to live a more powerful and grounded life. And as mentioned, if you do want to check out the class, I've included links to that in the show notes. It's worth doing once, at least. It's going to push you to your edge, and you're going to have some interesting thought into your brain. So I encourage you to stretch and expand and see what you're really made of, and then we can talk about it. Also, I wanted to mention that this is episode 58, which means there are 57 other episodes to listen to if you haven't done so. Go ahead and scroll through, see if any pop out at you. You're in a different place than you were previously and some of the episodes might be more relevant now than they previously were. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I appreciate the ratings, the reviews, the shares on the internet. It really does help to make a difference and spread my impact far and wide. As always, you can find me online at Long distance love Bombs. I have a weekly newsletter. I'm on Instagram. And I love you. Thanks for being here and wash your hands.